Hello and welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast. This is a podcast about the church and for the church. I'm Connor. I'm here with Mike and we're excited to be with you today. We're going to get right into our topic and the topic is when someone leaves the faith. So Mike, you preached a sermon, uh, maybe with the same title, I actually can't remember, uh, just this past Sunday. And I think it's been something that seems to have maybe struck a chord with lots of people in the church. Uh, we were just talking before the podcast, probably every Christian who's, who hears this title or this subject immediately has names spring to mind of people who they thought were a brother or sister uh, in the faith. And yet now they are out of the church, uh, maybe disinterested, maybe even hostile towards Christianity. So uh, we just want to wade into this and kind of open up the conversation again on the podcast, just maybe throw a few more ideas out that uh, that were just hit in glancing ways uh, on Sunday. But uh, Mike, let me, let me start uh, just with a question to you. This is uh, maybe in some sense low-hanging fruit, but um, why is it that this subject weighs so heavily on our minds as those who love the Lord? I think it's because... Christians care about the salvation of others. I think that uh, if you're born again, if you're regenerate, if you, you you know Jesus, you love Jesus, you care about those who are, uh, you know, were, were in the flock or in the fold and then somehow wandered away. And, you know, you care about unbelievers. And so when there's, a, when there's someone who professed to be a believer and they left the faith, it, it wrecks you, but it also ask, uh, makes you ask questions. And I said this Sunday, but it's good to ask all those questions. And Jesus and the Word of God can handle all the questions because it kind of puts you in a little bit of disequilibrium. You're like, well, wait a minute. Why did this happen to this person? Like, you know, why did this person fall away from the faith? You know, and are they a believer or are they not a believer? Are they like Peter who wandered and then repented and, and Jesus brought him back or like Judas that basically never belonged to Christ, you know, which is it? And so I think it's, it, it hurts it, and it, it hits our heart such because this is about our identity and their identity. Like our, we, we're gospel changed people. And when someone starts saying, I'm not a gospel changed person, but they used to think they were, you go, wait, what happened? Right. And and the Bible's replete with examples. First John, you know, they were they were not of us. They 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 look like they were of us, but they went out from us, and they never were a part of us. Or you know, Hebrews six uh, warns against falling away from the faith, and uh, that there are some that cannot be brought back to repentance because mm-hmm. they crucify again the, the Son of God, like they trample on on the cross. And so, yeah, I think I think we we respond with pain. But I think the, the biggest question is, how do you respond in your pain? Yeah, so maybe this is, this could be a direction to kind of push into, uh, you said on Sunday, and I think it, it's resonated with a lot of people, that we can be too hesitant to reach out to these people for fear of offending, for fear of maybe uh, doing damage to their relationship to the point where there's a break and you don't have access to that person anymore. Um, but I think you challenged that in a helpful way and just said, why, why would we think that our, you know, just silence or our lack of engagement is going to be something that you know brings somebody back to know the Lord. They, you know, if 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 not us, who is going to reach out to them and to have these conversations with them? So maybe just I, I don't know if you uh, want to just kind of expand on that, revisit, maybe just kind of uh, yeah, put that on the table again for us, Mike. But, but how how do we respond? What are the ways that maybe we either in fear or just maybe with the wrong uh, approach are sometimes too cautious to engage with these people? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. What, what would you say about that? 
Well, I, I think in general, I think we are too too shy or too reticent, um, and sometimes for good reasons. Okay, like you know, I want to be sensitive to their situation, or I'm anticipating them responding in this way or that way, so I need to be wise about how I say anything. I, I you know, we want to be personable, we want to be relational, and and this is presumably people you know and love. Okay, but think about this: there are so many that have as 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 Paul told Timothy, wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many, many sorrows. Okay. Well, they don't just pierce themselves. They pierce others. And, um, I think, I think we sometimes shy away from saying something because we've been conditioned to just let people do what they're going to do. Um, you know, don't rock the boat. Um, don't judge, don't come across as you're judging them. And it's like, well, wait a minute, hold on a minute. If there's someone who's wandering away from the faith, shouldn't we be thinking about rescuing them, you know, chasing them down because they're going in the wrong direction? Like if Mike, when my kids were younger and if they were about to pick up a bee, I'd be like, don't, don't pick that bee up. It's going to sting you, you know, right. it's a dead bee or it can still sting you. Right. I just think if there's something harmful, if your kid's up near a ledge you know, if you're at Niagara Falls, you're telling your kids, stay back. But if someone's inching too close, you give a warning. But I think we're afraid when it comes to someone in the faith because, look, people have been emboldened, emboldened by unbelievers to say, you stand up and you tell the church how wrong they were, how hurt you've been, this, that, and the other, how you don't believe this anymore. There's books being written to tell you how to do this. You can do a Google search and it'll show you how to deconstruct. Or how to literally, uh, you know, come out as an unbeliever, even though you say you were a believer. So I think we get conditioned to be almost afraid to say anything. Hmm. Uh, Turning a bit, another thing that you brought on Sunday that I think was appreciated was just the idea that at at some point, too, we are talking about uh, God's work in someone's heart as well as their personal responsibility to to trust Christ. And so, uh, you know, to the person who feels like, oh, I failed or oh, I didn't do enough. Um, God will, you know, we, we're going to give an account for the way that we've we've acted and the way we've engaged with people uh, before the Lord. But at the same time, uh, th- these people have made their you know decision as well, and it, it, God's going to hold them responsible. So you just think of you know some high profile people who've left the faith, and sometimes the question is, oh, you know, who didn't do enough? But is that they clearly they heard the gospel, they had loving believers around them, many people encouraging them, and then warning them, repent, don't go down this road. And they still, they still, uh, you know, turned aside. So one question I have, um, and I wonder if anybody else, you know, would be kind of thinking about this, but, um, I'm thinking of a conversation I had and I've had several conversations like this where an unbeliever, um, or somebody who's left the faith has almost said to me something like, I think that you're just wanting to be my friend so that you can be, uh, so that you can convert me to become a Christian, you know, mm-hmm. again, or whatever they would say. That right. was, I had air quotes there when I said that, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I saw how, the air quotes. Sorry, I'm rambling here, but yeah, what do you, what do you, you know, how would you encourage somebody to, you know, avoid maybe this kind of like mercenary friendship or anything that would, or even, yeah, well, how do you respond when somebody says to you, I know why you're still texting me. I know why you're calling me. You just want me to become a Christian no matter what you say or, or no matter how you deny that. Mm-hmm. How would you respond to that? I have responded to that in this way. I've had it happen. I had people say that to me and people that have been very close to me that I've, you know, keep going towards uh, relationally, but also telling them the truth and warning them and really asking them like, 
you know, what would it take to bring you back to Christ in the church? And I've had people say, I don't want a relationship with you if you're going to tell me I'm wrong, or I don't want a relationship with you if you want to evangelize me. They'll, they'll use those kind of words. And I mean this with all due respect. Like, if those friends were listening to this podcast, they're not going to hear anything bad about themselves. But we are dealing with this situation where, and I, here's how I've said it. I've said, look, we're friends. We've been friends for many years. And you have never been shy about telling me what you think, nor have I been shy about telling you what I think. We have a a trust in our relationship and we need to be who we truly are. So right now I am not telling you that if you're going to keep on telling me you're not a believer, I don't want a relationship with you. But you, on the other hand, cannot tell me that I can't be myself and I'm a Christian and I care about your soul. And so I am, I am compelled because of who God recreated me to be in Christ to go towards you with what I know to be good and right and true, even if you completely disagree. And if our friendship cannot handle that, then we don't have a true friendship. Right. And I find that each time I say something like that, they're like, fair enough. Fair enough. You're right. You're right. I'm going one sided on this. Okay. Um, So yeah, I, I, I like to hit that straight on and say, please come on. We've known each other too long. Right. I get that we're on different ends of the spectrum now spiritually, but you're the same person. You're the same person. I'm looking at you. I'm talking to you. You're the same person. You didn't change your name. You changed your affiliation. Hmm. And maybe you really mean that and maybe you'll come back to the Lord. I don't know. And I think, I think we just have to be clear and be honest with each other. Yep. Yeah. That's helpful. Any unique um, dynamics going on in terms of parents praying for prodigal sons or daughters who were raised in the church and have left the church? Ooh, that's a good question. Unique dynamics. Well, some, one of the dynamics is that for a long time, people have gone with this decisional conversion idea of Christianity, that as long as you made a decision, you're saved and uh, nothing can ever change that. The problem is that's not absolutely biblical. Okay. So I will just take us to John uh, chapter three and Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. But what he's saying is you must be born again. Uh, The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So you're not born of your decision. You're born of the spirit of God takes you to John chapter one. What does it say? It says verse 12, but to all who did receive him to who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the true believer is born by God, of God, regenerated by God, given new life by God. So the decisional transaction that many evangelical Christians have adopted have probably led to a lot of false professions of faith. OGK, only God knows. 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows those who are his. And then it says, these are quotes from Numbers 16, let the, the one who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. What does that mean? You're living a repentant lifestyle. You're living, loving the Lord Jesus, obeying the Lord Jesus, following the Lord Jesus, doing what the word says, being in fellowship. So I think for parents, oh boy, parents, here's what I'm going to say to you. Okay. I'm a parent of five kids and I've got six grandkids, four uh, that have made their appearance, two that are still in the womb. But my heart 
is that all of them would know Christ and would never turn back. But I can't make that happen. I've had people say, which one of your kids are you going to choose to go to hell? Because I believe firmly in what the Bible teaches in election and predestination. What the Bible teaches on that is that God foreknew before the foundation of the world, God decided, God decreed before the foundation of the world whom he would save. Romans um, 9 tells us about that. It's not according to the, the will of man, uh, the man who wills or the man who runs, but God who has mercy. God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And dear friends, if you're listening and you're aching over this, and maybe you're even seething with anger at what I'm saying right now. This is the truth. God is sovereign. He's the one who saves. You don't know for sure if your loved one is saved or not, but let me give you the good news. Here's the good news. The gospel tells us that we must go and give it, okay? We must go with the gospel. So if they look like they're going to hell, Tell them about Christ. Mm-hmm. Preach the gospel. Don't say, well, they said yes to Jesus at the Billy Graham crusade in 1994 or whatever you're going to say, or they became a believer when they were four years old. But if, if you're looking at their life right now and you are burdened beyond compare and you're just going, I just, it's, it's tearing my heart apart then just go to them with the truth. Mm-hmm. Speak the truth of the gospel to them. Ask the question like, honey, or, or, or buddy, I love you so much as your parent. I'm concerned for you mm-hmm. if you really truly know the Lord because mm-hmm. it sure doesn't look like it. Mm-hmm. And if they're saying, yeah, I don't, go, okay, but you, do you remember back when you were four, back when you were 12 or this or that, when you professed faith in Christ, when you got baptized, and they're like, nope, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that. And, and you can't answer, you cannot connect all those dots. They might be a believer who will repent and turn back. But many times, most likely, they just didn't, they had a false conversion. And be, leave room for that, folks. Leave room for that. That's the, Jesus said that on the day of judgment, he will say to some people who claim, did we not do this, that, and the other in your name? He will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Okay, you practice iniquity. I never knew you. And it's the, the idea that not the decisional transaction that I say I know Jesus. No, it's, is there fruit of the Spirit of God working in my life, in my Christian profession, that would give anybody any clue that I really am born again? And so, friends, I know this is painful, but let's let's deal in truth. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? You're gonna get you're gonna be in pain either way, right? You're gonna be in pain either way, and they're walking away from the faith, or they're walking away from Jesus. So you're already in pain. So bring some truth into your pain, right? And and then let's just deal with it from that that level. That's helpful. Yeah, and not doing anyone any favors to just pretend everything's okay because of a supposed decision that was made, right? Yeah. But at the same time, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I'm sorry, but I would say this: if you're if you're saying to your kid, "Hey, but you got saved back then," and they're like, "No, I didn't," take them at their word. Right, okay, right. take them at their word right now. Everyone's going to give account for their own sin, and if they're saying. I don't want Jesus. And you know what? That's a, that's a fairy tale. Then don't lean on something that you heard in the past. Okay. I have friends that, that used to preach the gospel and that used to lead people to Christ. that are saying now that they do not believe the gospel. I don't know how to reconcile those two poles, those two polar opposites. All I know is that I have to deal with them right this moment. Mm-hmm. 
and the condition they're in. You have examples in the New Testament too. I'm thinking of Demas in love with the world that Paul talks about of people who labored with Paul mm-hmm. and then and then turned away, you know, and went back to whatever they were doing before, presumably. So right. it's not some foreign concept that somebody could have a, a, a very high, you know, external bar in terms of what their life looks like as, as if it was the life of a believer and then ultimately completely turn away and show that they never knew the Lord. So the Bible has precedent for that. Um, Mike, another question for you. Um, I'm just thinking of, you know, patterns. It's like you can just, you can just, you know, online see a thousand, thousands of stories of how people have deconstructed, left the faith, you know, um, turned aside from the, you know, church that they grew up in. There's just, there's story upon story upon story upon story. Um, just in what you've seen, do you recognize kind of commonalities that, that unite some of those different stories? I think in, in many sense, uh, in many senses, everyone is kind of unique, but are there commonalities? And then out of those commonalities, are there ways that believers can engage with people even still in the church that they're worried mm-hmm. about? Maybe mm-hmm. seeing things in their life where they're, 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 you know, heading down a dangerous path. That's a great question. There are some commonalities with people that deconstruct. Uh, they lose confidence in the word of God. They, they deconstruct their beliefs about God. They literally think about what deconstructing is. Let's say you're playing with Legos and you build this, you know, great uh, cruise ship. And then you say, I'm going to take it apart. You can jump on it and just smash it, or you can take it apart piece by piece. And oftentimes people will deconstruct their beliefs about God piece by piece. And they will say their questions went unanswered right? And that they didn't get satisfying answers to their questions. But often there's a moral choice they make. Often there is a a intellectual, I'm going to call it a smokescreen in some ways, where they say, well, I just can't reconcile this, where before they used to take it by faith. So I'd say that there are some, there are some, you know, commonalities. They, they question the, the character and nature of God. They deny the truthfulness and the veracity of scripture and what they also do is distance themselves from relationships yep. in the uh, former relationships in the church yep, yep. i i uh, i was going to say i think sometimes you know that idea the picture of going after somebody who's wandered away mm-hmm. um someone uh someone last week gave the picture of, you know, you're trying to hold on to someone's ankles. And then someone said, my, my body's tired of being dragged along the ground for some of these ankles I've been holding on to for 20 years. You know, right. so there is, it's, it can be, I think, and this isn't the case, obviously, of somebody who's left the church, but mm-hmm. there's an intentionality that believers can have of, hey, I, I, I know, you know, so-and-so, somebody, maybe I'm not very close with them, but I've kind of noticed that they're just slipping in and slipping out, not engaging. Those are people that, you know, believers can go after and say, Hey, I want to, I want to grab a hold of this person and just ask how, how are things going? You know, Mm -hmm. is it, is there a reason that maybe you've been a little bit like less connected or, or are they maybe trying to distance themselves for some other reason? So Mm -hmm. to to stay engaged relationally, I think is, is, Mm -hmm. you know, one piece of maybe a bigger puzzle. That whole relational component is important. What you find with a lot of people's deconstruction stories and what happens is people get emboldened by the famous reconstruction, uh, deconstruction stories. So the, the famous Christian or the notable Christian that goes out publicly and makes this big thing, it empowers other people to go and do likewise. And sometimes it's for the attention. Sometimes it's because they really were leaving the faith. But there are times when people will say, I didn't have a safe place to ask my questions. 
And I, I sometimes, you know, will call that out and go, mm-hmm. you know, you were in a small group. You had every opportunity. I think sometimes those are smoke screens. And maybe they felt that way, but it wasn't like someone was actually making them feel that way. But I think people are really, um, you know, they, there's a mistrust that gets drawn, drawn up in their hearts. And I think it's kind of this me against the world mentality. And it's like, it's them against the church and everyone's now their enemy. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that's hard. That is hard to deal with. Yep. It's very hard to deal with. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, one thing, and this goes back to your point that it, it, this is, you know, about God's sovereign work in someone's heart. But sometimes even the responses that a believer might offer to an intellectual type objection mm-hmm. is going to be ultimately unsatisfying to somebody. Right. Um, and I would say, at least in what I've seen, sometimes the chief moral issue isn't that they're, they have some secret, you know, kind of sinister sin hiding in the closet that they've decided to give themselves to. And so mm-hmm. now they're putting up an intellectual smoke screen. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the moral issue is the pride of not submitting to the word of God. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say maybe that maybe that's an obvious point, but um, the moral issue at stake is an unwillingness to submit to God's word, which is self-attesting oh, yeah. and to say, no, I, I need to stand in the place of sitting in judgment on all worldviews that might, you know, filter across my screen. Um, and that's a super dangerous place to be. Yeah, that is really the primary. The primary sin in that moral choice is the pride. Right. Uh, the other things are the are are a, uh, symptoms often, but it's yeah. it's the pride. It's the um, they forgot they somehow they are they're blinded or they're they're somehow held captive by ideas that are not in line with the Bible, and oftentimes they've given the devil a foothold. Yeah. Whether that is in their their reading, their their friendships, their whatever the, the inputs in their life. Bad company corrupts good morals. Yep. And so you'll see someone slide away or slip away and you think, how did it happen? Well, you can you retrace. Usually it's not happening to a person that is um, in, in ongoing fellowship right. with a group of people right. and they're being honest with each other and they're in the word and they're praying and right. they're doing some ministries. That doesn't usually happen. It usually happens with a some sort of choice that gets made that then distances them from the group they were a part of. Yep. And then they're going to get cheered on by the group that they're now attaching that they're to. they're now attaching to. Right. right. That's a good point. Yeah, not coming from a heart of trust. If you ever hear, this is just one example, but if you ever hear someone say something like this, you know, I think I need to evaluate I think I need to evaluate the claims of Christianity. Maybe they'd be, I'm thinking of somebody right now. I know a friend who's left the faith and I want to know how to, you know, uh, combat them. And so I'm going to set the Bible aside and evaluate everything. And here's the, the dangerous word, quote, objectively, close quote. And by that, they mean I'm not going to, I'm not trusting the Bible as my, you know, starting place. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put myself on so-called objective ground, which is actually not objective mm-hmm. ground at all. You're, you're mm-hmm. adopting an anti-God, uh, very much biased worldview in, in your attempt to be, you know, so-called objective. And I'm just thinking of a friend who walked down exactly that road. Uh, I'm going to adopt an objective worldview and then started to expose himself to ideas and, and thoughts that are, that are coming from an explicitly anti-God agenda. Um, and he just became warped by all of these things entering his mind. So mm-hmm. as a believer, uh, this is just something to go back to again and again. The, um, the foundational, uh, you know, epistemological, that's a big word, but the way that you know what you know, the foundation of all of that is God's word, which is self-attesting and, and mm-hmm. reveals a foundation that everything else can build on. And if you let that go, that's a bad place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, anything else that you'd add? We, uh, there's probably more to be said, but we're going to start to wrap this one up. Yeah, I think the last thing I would add is that the worldview that, that God gives in the Word of God 
is more satisfying than anything. The world will not satisfy you and it will fail you. The word of God will never fail you. And I just want to close with this in, in Hebrews 4, 11 to 13. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, the rest of God that he gives in Christ, so that no one may fall by some sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. And by the way, it, it, Hebrews 3 and 4 talk about hearing God's voice and tie that in paralleled with, if, if you want to hear God's voice, the written word of God is, is, the, is the voice of God. The Old Testament voice of God is the New Testament written word of God. And so just keep that in mind. And the idea there is that so many people get confused and get disappointed and even superstitious because they've been told you can hear from God and they outside of scripture and then they end up going, well, God didn't come through. Well, look what it says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So never leave the word of God, my friends. And it says in verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The idea that, and, and you can't let this idea go, everyone will give an account of their soul to God. But here, the believer will even give an account of themselves to God. And the believer cannot jettison the word of God. That, that you let go of the word of God, and it's the first step down downhill. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, let me just read uh, from James 5 to close our time. Uh, this would be what we'll end with. My brothers, if this is James 5, 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So that's where we want to leave it just with an encouragement to you to be engaged with those people that you know that God's put in your life that have left the church and wandered. Uh, if, if we bring them back, uh, we can save them, uh, save their soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And ultimately, it's not us, but the Lord who will bring them back. So uh, with that, listeners, we're thankful for you. We love you. We pray for you throughout the week. And we will talk to you next time on the podcast. Have a great day and God bless you.